Anyway, we're just starting a first of a five-part series where we're looking at uh, promises that propel. Originally, I was going to call it promises of hope, but I don't want it just to be optimistic or nice thinking promises, but recognising that the promises of God are designed to move us and to move us forward. So we're going to uh, come before God in prayer as we seek his blessing upon his word and to transform us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with every single one of us who are in Christ. I thank you that you are with me, that I can have confidence to stand here, that it is your word that is powerful and life-changing and that you can use even common everyday vessels like myself. But Lord, you can also work by your spirit in the lives of all of us as we hear your wonderful promises and your wonderful truths proclaimed. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to deny ourselves, to put off the very thoughts that come so naturally to us, but to embrace your truths. We thank you that you are working within us both to will and to work that which is pleasing in your sight. We pray you might do that amongst us in this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you with children, or if you were a child, so now we've got everyone in there, you know those times when you have a really bad dream, you wake up, there's either tears or there's, sometimes there's even screams. What's the first words parents tend to say when they go into that room? Now, it's possible they might go, wow, that's the loudest you've ever been. Tell me about that one. But most likely, you're probably more likely to default to something along the lines of, it's okay, daddy's here, or mummy's here if that's who you are. Now, in some cases, you might end up sitting with the child for a while. You might even end up getting in the bed with the child, or they may end up in your bed. But it's weird, isn't it? They can go from that moment of absolute terror and then someone comes into the room, just sits there and all of a sudden there's peace, comfort and security. Or maybe a child is trying to do something for the very first time. Maybe you're dropping off at school for the first time, which we'll be doing for Miller in a couple of weeks. And they're like, no, Dad, stay with me. Mum and Dad's not actually going to do school or do anything new that they're trying for the first time, but for some reason in their mind, they can do more things if you're there. Or there's that thing that every parent and every child fears, crowded shopping centre, the kid turns around and cannot see Mum and Dad. I reckon that's the sound I hate most in the world, that child that looks around and can't find Mum and Dad and panics. They're pretty universal experiences. Children experience these things everywhere. Yet, even if they're good or bad parents, it's also universal that there is comfort, assurance, when the parents are at hand. And if we, even as bad parents, can have such an impact on the lives of our children... How much more to be a child of God to know that the Almighty God is with us? Should that transform everything that we do? Today we're looking at one of the most common promises of the Bible. And now that I've said that, when you read through your Bible, you go, man, it's, it's everywhere. 
Like it comes in many different shapes and forms. I chose that reading because it's one of the most well-known ones. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's not just in Hebrews, it's in Deuteronomy and other places as well. Or you might name the old song, Fear not for I am with you, because that comes directly from the Bible. Or I am with you till the end of the age. It's the first of five in this promises that propel. We're not just talking about promises of hope, not just optimistic or warm, fuzzy feelings, but promises that if we cling on to them and believe them at their very truth, help us to move forward in our relationship with God. When the elders met together a few weeks ago, we were thinking about what would we like to see Eastgate look in about five years' time. And there was some language which came up over and over again, this idea of next steps. To be thinking that we don't want anybody to remain stagnant in the same place where they are with regards to Jesus, whether they don't know Jesus yet or they already know Jesus. We want to always be thinking, what is the next thing to bring them closer to Jesus? How can God work through us, through things, in order to bring someone closer to himself? So over the next five of these topical sermons, we're going to look at these particular promises. Today we're looking at I am with you. Next week Samuel's going to be looking at God's power is made perfect in weakness. Then we're going to look at faithful, fervent prayer has power. That God is at work in you. And lastly, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now that's certainly not a comprehensive list. They're just five particular ones that I chose. But in the opening illustration, we talked about how parents have an impact upon our children. It was kind of just a few limited examples. Today, as we look at God's promise of his presence amongst his people, which gets repeated throughout the whole Bible start to finish, probably because it's important, these are the three things we're going to look at this morning. To comfort you, to equip you, and to transform you. Now, without doubt, the most common and familiar use is the idea God is with you in a sense of comfort, encouragement, security, peace, kind of along the lines of the fear not because I am with you. But if you're reading through your Bible, you'll start to notice how often those promises that God is with these people come up over and over and over again. And I think it helps remind us how important it is that we remember that God is with us. You'll notice that even God repeats that same promise over and over again to the same people. Because we quickly forget about it or we don't live or apply it the way that we should. Now, if Miller can change from screaming in fear to calm and peace just by this bloke sitting next to her bed, scratching her back with a dolphin back massager, how much more the presence of God, the almighty God with his people. Now, I reckon if I ran a survey amongst Christians of who believes that God is with them, I reckon the answers would be, ran in the high 90s of those who say yes. There'd probably be a couple who aren't so sure about it, but I reckon high 90s, should be 100, but I reckon you'd probably get high 90s. But if there was a way of measuring amongst those people, those who live on a daily basis like they actually believe that the Almighty God is with them, sadly I think that statistic would be significantly less. 
What you'll notice, whenever God calls people to something, whether it's a task or an idea that may not be naturally appealing to ourselves or something we might shrink back from naturally, it's not uncommon for it to be accompanied by their promise of, I will be with you. Whether it's their call to go into the promised land, he made the same promise of his presence when he said it to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Joshua, to Moses. Or whether it's when they're going into battle amongst another nation, he says, I will be with you. Or whether it's when he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. God is with us. Literally. It's not just a, an expression of goodwill, like two Star Wars fans saying to one another, may the force be with you. God, the almighty God, if you are in Christ, is with you, actually. In the face of fear, challenges, things we're apprehensive about, and everything he calls us to do, this is a promise that propels us into action. This is a promise that moves us forward because we can live very differently knowing that he is with us. Quite many years ago, a guy named, by the name of Brother Lawrence wrote a book when he was just thinking about this content. What would it look like to live in the reality of the presence of God on a daily basis? And it's aptly called Practicing the Presence of God. And because it is an old book, it means it's beyond copyright laws. I'm actually going to put it up um, in our Facebook group. If you're not on Facebook, I can email it to you. If you don't like reading, it's only 23 pages, so it's a pretty quick read. But let me give you just one example from the Scriptures. When God calls Moses to lead the people into the promised land, we see this exchange. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet I have said, I know you by my name, and you have also found favour in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. See how that goes? Moses says, I know what you're calling me to, but who are you going to send with me? I can't do this. And God promises, my presence is going to go with you. And I love Moses' response. It's kind of along the lines of, if you don't go with me, I'm not taking another step. But with the promise of God's presence, he willingly led the people. God's presence brings comfort, brings confidence. And why shouldn't it? I am in the very presence of the almighty God. He is with me. What better place to be than in his presence? Now, because it is throughout the whole Bible, we could look at all sorts of different parts. But I want to focus for a moment on Mark chapter 4, where the disciples are out on the sea with Jesus on the boat and the storm comes along. Yes, it doesn't specifically contain the promise, but it's a situation that teaches the reality that we're speaking on. On that day when the evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in a boat just as he was. And other boats were with them. 
And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking onto the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So they're on the sea. A massive storm comes up. The water's going onto the boat. They're like, we're going to die. They come up to Jesus. Don't you care? We're going to die here. Now, what you notice, Jesus doesn't think, danger, we better teleport them out of here onto safe land. Jesus speaks. The wind stops immediately. The sea is calm immediately. Just think about that. Even if the wind did stop immediately, the sea's not going to just go, all of a sudden just go, whoop. Such as his power. They, you could see they were in fear. They are like, man, who is this guy? He didn't just take them off to safe land. So the only way to deal with this was just to get them out of there. I think sometimes we've got a false idea of what safety and security and peace really looks like. I think in the back of our mind we think safety, security and peace means we need to be away from the trouble stuff. We need to be away from anything that's hard, anything that might hurt, that might be difficult. And then it creeps over into our prayer lives, doesn't it? We're facing something difficult or hard and we presume, well, God doesn't want me to go through bad stuff, would he? God, I want you to get me out of this. That's the only prayer that we want to give him and if we don't get that answer, we think he hasn't answered, the, answered our prayer. But you know what that says? That says, God, this situation is bigger than anything you can deal with. Get me out of it because you can't deal with me. You can't support me. You can't encourage me in the middle of it. What a prayer of faith says, God, you are king of all. It's my desire that I would get out of it. But even if it's your will that I stay right in the middle of this, you are more than capable to be my comfort, to be my encouragement. And just like we see on the boat, true peace doesn't come from distance from trouble. True peace is found in nearness to Jesus. There's no safer place to be. There's nowhere we should desire more to be than in the presence of God. There's no place more joyful to be. Look at the way that David speaks in Psalm 16. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David's got a pretty good grasp of what it means to live in the joy of the presence of God. Fullness of joy forever. That's not bad. Full forever. God's presence gives us comfort, confidence to move forward. Knowing that he is with us, there's not a single situation we should fear, not a single situation where we have any reason to think God cannot minister to me. God cannot grow me spiritually in the middle of this situation. But his presence is also to equip us. As I was reading through the Bible, looking at various different parts of God's promise to be amongst his people, probably all of the aspects that I looked at kind of fit in that first category. And then every single one of them, that's a word of comfort and encouragement. 
I even had a list where I printed out all these verses and I started putting numbers next to one for the comfort idea, two for equipping and three for, uh, for tr- transforming. And as I started to do that, I noticed that I started putting one next to every single one of them, but others also happened to have two or three next to them as well. God's presence doesn't only just give us peace, which peace doesn't necessarily mean void of any trouble or hurt or hardship, but God's presence is to work within us. Now, sometimes God working by his presence might actually be around us, independent of us, to the extent that we're almost a spectator. To give you one example of that, look at Second Chronicles chapter 20. You've got the Moabites and the Ammonites. They're threatening Judah, and Jehoshaphat is the king at the time, and he's afraid. But at the same time, he comes before God in prayer and says, you're king of all of the nations. I can't, I can't do this. Our, our armies can't do this. But you can do this. And God places his spirit on a man named Jehaziel, who says these words to uh, Jehoshaphat and all of the people. He says, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the king Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. Everyone's favourite holiday destination, the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. That's the kind of war I'd want to fight in. Rock on up, stand your ground, God's doing the war stuff. I will be with you. Now while there are times that God does work in the situation around you, often his presence is to work in and through you. One of the promises, I think it's the fourth that we're going to look at, is God is at work in us. Based on the promise from Philippians 2.13 where it says, God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't that an amazing promise? That God, the almighty God, is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or in other words, he is at work in you to make you desire what's pleasing in his sight but also giving you the ability to carry out the things which are pleasing in his sight. Now I know I often read through the Bible and you get to certain parts and you go, that's a big ask. I don't know if I could actually do that. I think he's laid the bar a little bit high on that one. And there's two things that I need to think about that every time I think of that way. When Jesus says, if you want to be my followers... You need to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. Deny yourself means that you need to do stuff that you naturally don't want to do. So I shouldn't be surprised that sometimes I read things and think, I don't know if I could do that. But also, the very fullness of his spirit lives within me. His presence is with me, who seeks not only to give me the desire to do that, but the ability to carry out the thing that he's laid before me. So when I'm reading through the Bible, I find something that's difficult. I've got good reason to plead with God in prayer, haven't I? Say, God, 
You have called me to this thing. And you tell me that you are at work in me to give me the desire to do this and the ability to do this. At the moment, I don't desire it. Change my heart. I know that you are true to your word, every single thing that you say. Our God's never absent. He's never weak. We pray in confidence because he is present and he's almighty. Even one of the most significant commands of the New Testament comes surrounded with the promises of both of his presence but also a reminder of who he is. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's surrounded by those two promises. I've got all power and authority, heaven and earth, absolutely everywhere, and I'm going to be with you. Therefore, go and do it. The one who has all power is with you and he's calling you to do it. Go make disciples. Indiscriminately help people find Jesus and grow in Jesus. Lead them to trust him for the first time. Lead them to grow and flourish in him. Not because you're confident in your skills in that area. Not because you've even necessarily had a great deal of success in that area. Rather, go because you're confident that the one who's told you to go has all authority in heaven and on earth and he is with you. You want to know what? God's promise that he has all authority in heaven and on earth and that he is with us is not like a little switch that he flicks on and off just when you're doing what might be classified disciple-making stuff. It's true universally all of the time. He always has all power and authority. He is always with you. And so I've actually come to this habit of when I come to parts of the Bible that I think, I don't know how to think about this. I think it's setting the bar too high. I put him in what I call the Great Commission Sanger. You're surrounded by the promise that the one who's calling me has all power and authority and he is with me. And when you wrap that thing around with those two things, it's like, if he calls me to do it, he is the one who's at work within me to desire and to carry it out. God, you can do this. Now, it's not going to be forming a new sentence of putting, to think in having all these post-it notes around your room with putting those brackets start and the end is going to change you. But I tell you what, if you believe that he has all power and authority with you, that it's going to bring some serious change. He's got a plan for every single one of his children. How often do you hear people say, I just want to know what God's plan or God's will is for my life. You've got a whole book full of it. Every single thing that he lays forward is his plan for your life. Sometimes he even goes so far, just because we're a bit slow on the uptake, and says, this is God's will for you, which could be said of everything that he commands us to. And just as our salvation is not with any defect, neither is his ability to equip to supply us with what we need to carry it out. No Christian is unequipped for any aspect of the Christian life. But when you hear that, you think, man, I'm kicking myself. I must be an absolute dead set failure because, man, that, my life doesn't look like that on a daily basis. Guess what? No Christian 
has been able to fully embrace and live day by day in the light of God has all authority and is with us. All of us, we pull towards doing things ourselves. Even Paul, who we look up to so highly at times, says, no, the stuff I want to do, I just don't do it. The stuff I shouldn't do, I find myself doing it all the time, he says. But you know what? When we do get it wrong, and we do, on a daily basis, if you haven't yet already today, you're either deceiving yourself or you've done pretty good so far. But it'll come very shortly, don't you worry. We have absolute assurance of forgiveness when we get it wrong. But also we continue to move forward knowing that this is the same God who's forgiven me, the one with all authority, who says he's at work in me to desire and to carry out the things that he's placed on my heart that propel us forward. His presence comforts us to live in all situations, equips us to carry out the things that he lays before us, and his presence is also to transform us. Now, to some extent, that's kind of like a natural progression of the equipping, to be transformed in our character, or sometimes in the Bible or biblical terms we talk about sanctification, that is, God at work in us to change our character to be more and more like the character of Jesus. Like when Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he says, when God chose you before the foundation of the world, he chose you to make you like his son. And this is the God who is almighty, who carries out and achieves everything he sets out to do. The one that Paul said to the Philippians is at work in you to will and to work that which is pleasing in his sight. He is at work. He is able to transform us. It's just exactly like he set out to do. When the disciples were starting to worry, when Jesus was saying he's about to go away, one of the things that Jesus said to them, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, which he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Now Jesus, who while he was on earth was with them from time to time, he says, I'm going to give you another helper who is exactly the same and he will be with you forever. And it's not just a spirit, it's the Holy Spirit who wants to work within us to give us a desire to be holy, to enable us, to change us to be holy. It's God's will that we be sanctified. And it's also the evidence that we have indeed been saved. Look at the way that Paul makes the connection between God's presence and our sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's yeah, pretty clear. Even I can pick that one up that you abstain from sexual immorality, and then he goes on with a few more details there. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So there's no doubt, our sanctification, our growing to become more and more like Jesus, that's God's will. He wants that to happen. He equips us and enables that to happen. When Paul is writing in Romans 8 about how do we know those who genuinely belong to God, he says, those who have the spirit of Christ belong to him. Then he goes on to say, and those no longer do we live by the flesh, but if we live by the spirit, we will put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's what the indwelling spirit does. It puts to death the deeds of the flesh. It works to transform us to become more and more like Jesus. It's what the spirit does. It's what he longs to do in our life. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to be in the, in the presence of unholiness. He wants to see us sanctified. 
So when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, a person who doesn't grow in holiness isn't just disregarding men, he's disregarding God who's given the Holy Spirit. When we don't grow in holiness, it's not because of something that a person hasn't taught us rightly, but we have disregarded God's Spirit given to us, living in us, who wants to transform us and who is all-powerful to be able to transform us. Now, if you're like me, you might be, often find yourself getting frustrated at the, either the lack of your growth or the slowness of speed of your growth. And I want this to take heart. If you are in Christ... You have the fullness of the Holy Spirit living within you who desires to transform you and is thoroughly able to transform you. We can say, I can't as often as you want as long as at the same time you say, but he can and he wants. When Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, he says, he will be with you forever. Never once do we need to think, Is the Holy Spirit rostered on to help me today or is he busy doing someone else? Every single day, every single moment, the Holy Spirit is trying to work within us to desire to grow. And he wants us to enable us to grow. The very presence of God is there to grant that desire if we allow and permit him to. If we deny ourselves and lean thoroughly upon him. He comforts, he equips, and he transforms by his presence. Now, I don't know how often you actually think about this. I'm not going to take a poll of how regularly people think about the fact that the Almighty God, his presence is with them. Not just as a nice concept, but in reality, God is with you. I would suggest we probably don't think about it enough. Now, I can only start to imagine what it would look like even if just this small group of followers of Jesus Christ took hold of what it means that God's presence is with them. Today, we've just considered three implications that propel us forward, that help us to grow. Just imagine if we took solid hold, held firmly onto those three and lived like we actually believe them to be true. Maybe you can think of other ways in which there are implications of blessings of God's presence being with us. Maybe maybe there are things to just talk about in your conversations after church. Maybe you could talk about some of the specific situations you've been in. You could say, this is how the very presence of God has proven to be a hope and an enablement and how he's transformed my life. But I tell you what, if we just took hold of these three, 2020 would be a pretty fantastic year, wouldn't it? If we could live in such a way that we were confident and peaceful in any circumstances, anything that comes our way, because we know the very fullness of the Almighty God is with us at all times. If we live in such a way where we had confidence that the one who places such a high calling upon our life is also the same one who's at work within us to give us a desire and the ability to carry that out. And that it doesn't need to be a year where we look back lamenting how little bit of growth that we have, but to think that the Almighty God wants to change us. He called us to himself to change us, to be like his son. And he's placed his spirit within us 
to give us that desire and that ability to grow to become like his son. I'm glad God is with us because I would be an absolute mess without it. And we pray that we would see and be able to share stories throughout the year of how consciously being aware of his presence with us changes helps us grow and equips us to move forward heavenly father you don't waste your words there's not a single sentence in the scriptures that's a waste of time in being there lord even the fact that you repeat something doesn't mean that that it's a unnecessary by repeating it over and over again, but Lord, sometimes it's just a reminder of how much we need to know it. Lord, forgive us at times that we either mentally don't acknowledge you're with us or, or we live in such a way that we don't live as though we believe that to be a reality. What a joy the Almighty God is with us. There is going to be no better place to be. Help that to transform the way we view everything that we see, experience and do in this life. When we see your word calling us to things, we give thanks that you are with us to, to enable us, to help us to carry out those things. And in all of those things, may they bring much wonder and awe amongst your people and honour and glory to your name. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Saviour and our Lord. Amen.